Welcome to the Realmcast. I'm your host, the Mortal Kombat fan, Tim. And with me, as always, is my co-host, the lore master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni. Thanks, fan, Tim. Today, we'd like to welcome on our guest, the writer of Mortal Kombat Conquest and Mortal Kombat Defenders of the Realm, Sean Catherine Derrick. Sean, it's nice to have you on. Oh, this is so fun. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for joining. I love what you guys do. It's great. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on today. Oh, sweet. I guess before we jump too far into it, uh, maybe we can ask you a couple quick questions. Just kind of how has Mortal Kombat affected you? I mean, besides, of course, writing for it, did you have any kind of history with it before you started working on the series? Actually, no. I came off of Batman, and actually a funny story, because my name is Sean, my agent uh, sent me in, and when I walked in the door of Threshold, which was doing the animation first, it's like, oh, you're a woman. I say, is that a problem? I said, no, not at all. But with your name, we thought, and with your Batman and all the dark stuff you write. So anyway, that that's how I got started. I came in because they liked what I did on Batman, the animated series. That's amazing. So before you're working on Mortal Kombat, I mean, you've had a huge career. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, working on Batman, the animated series, you've also done several scripts and uh, you've been an author. Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself, some of the stuff that you've done? Sure. Well, the background for me is my father was an actor named John Derrick, who became a filmmaker. So uh, he's most known for his famous wives. He married uh, my mother, who was Tolstoy's grandniece, a princess. Uh, then he married Ursula Andress, who was the first Bond girl in Dr. No. That's awesome. And then Linda Evans, who was on the Big Valley at the time and then did Dynasty. And then, of course, Bo Derrick, who he braided, had her hair braided and the rest is history. <laughs> so um, that my background is growing up in Hollywood. I did some modeling. I did some acting. Um, I just always wanted to write ever, ever since I was a little girl. My mother would see, see me drawing little pictures and writing stories around it. So it was my dream. And I'm really blessed that I've gotten to do it. And animation just lends itself to great fantasy, whereas live action, now you can do it with all the tech we have. But back in the day, it was just very expensive and Every time you'd write a scene, they go, that's too expensive. We can't do it. <laughs> but in animation, we could do, especially 2D animation, we could do pretty much anything we wanted. And I love it. That's an interesting point that you raise, actually, because you seem to have a very heavy focus on animation. But now that technology sort of advanced to this extent, would you say that you enjoy sort of live action as much as animation? Yes, actually, I can't really discuss it, but I can tell you that, that what you asked me what I got out of uh, Mortal Kombat, one of the greatest things I got out of it is I met Larry Kasnoff, who was Lawrence Kasnoff, yeah. on mm -hmm. credits on the movie and everything. Uh, Larry and I uh, worked on uh, both series and became really, I don't know, good friends. He's a great cinematographer. He's a photographer. He's He's got a writing talent. And so we became good friends. And we have a couple of projects that are live action that are really fun. So that was the best gift I got out of it. And some of the cast on on both, the animated, I mean, Luke Perry. And we had, we had just amazing people on both shows. So I'm very lucky. You get to meet such great people when you do this. Occasionally you meet somebody you've never met, but it's rare. <laughs> <laughs> As you were talking about earlier, you know, you kind of came into Mortal Kombat after Batman. And, you know, we know that you've worked on several different animated series. Uh, there was Spider-Man, Captain Planet, Smurfs. Um, yes. It, it also, um, I ended up working uh, again. It, it, Batman was a great thing for me because I won the Emmy for writing and it was wonderful. And that got the Mortal Kombat attention. And then I got to write Spider-Man and Avi Arad, who is my other favorite producer on the planet. You probably know him mm -hmm. best for all the Spider-Man feature films he did. And he was Stan Lee's partner on so many projects. I have written for him and he's very hands-on. So I've gotten to know him. 
wonderful producer, wonderful creator. So yes, yeah, Spider-Man. And I also did for Larry Kasnoff, I did the Bionicle movies, uh, Bionicle movie, one of them, uh, the Legend. Legend Reborn, I think we called it. And then I did the Hero Factory for Lego as well. So uh, it all leads, they all kind of roads lead to each other. And it's just wonderful. I've rarely been where I didn't have something to do. <laughs> so it's good. I've had a good career. So going from those cartoons, so those led you into Mortal Kombat eventually? Well, because of this, the Batman being uh, the Dark Knight, it, we, 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 for us, it was the first time the animated series, they painted it on black. It made it very interesting looking and darker. That got me into Mortal Kombat. And I just, I don't know, the first one, it was like, oh, Mortal Kombat, I'm going to have to study up on this. And there was so much lore, as you know better than anybody. <laughs> and yet I thought it was fascinating and fun. So it was, wasn't like work. It was like, wow, this is really fun. We get to do all this. And then with the live action, working with these amazing martial artists was just crazy. This is so much fun. That's really cool. Um, you, so with Mortal Kombat, I mean, you know, you've kind of had a huge impact on the series itself, like the lore and a lot of stuff that like, I mean, you're very influential in the series itself as somebody who has been a a hand in the franchise. Who would you say your favorite Mortal Kombat character has been? Wow. Uh, (laughs) In terms of the villains, the Sub-Zero and Scorpion, you just can't go wrong. But on our our series, Shang Tsung was really fun to write for. Really fun. Uh, I enjoyed that so much. But my my favorite character is kind of of twisted by the fact I really liked Daniel Bernhardt so (laughs) much. I know he's kept in touch with uh, Larry as well. He was so, everybody was so, everybody was fun to work with. I know it just sounds like I'm placating everybody, but no, I thought Jeff Meek, Jeff reminded me of my father, not not in the elderly sense, but in the sense he was so handsome and charismatic. (laughs) Um, so we had, we had just a great cast and they made it really fun. Paula was great. I mean, sometimes you're writing for people and you have to really work hard to make sure they can get it. Cause it might, you don't want them to look bad and you don't want to overwrite it. And we never had to worry about that. We, we just knew they could do it and they'd get it done. And they did. I thought they did a great job. So Phantom mentioned, uh, I mean, you were very influential with your works on Mortal Kombat. And I have to say personally as well, you kind of really shaped sort of my love for Mortal Kombat. You helped shape it, at least. I mean... What a beautiful I, thing yeah. to say. Thank you. So, I mean, Conquest was... I've, I've said this on multiple episodes, and when I say it, I really mean it, but I have literally lost count of how many times I've seen Conquest. <laughs> uh, oh, so, thank you. Wonderful. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah, we, we are proud of it, and the thing that was, was smart, that ended up, turned out smart, is we played it such a period piece look that it holds up now. I mean, we've mm-hmm. been watching it again for the first time in a long time. And it's like, you know, this holds up and these guys were really talented. Oh, so. yeah. The cast was like all star. When you go back and watch it again, you're just like every single person on here managed to balance out their yeah. roles perfectly. And then you got Jeff, of course, who's playing Shao Kahn and Raiden. And I, for the longest time, thought they were com- two completely different characters or two completely different actors. I mean, portraying them. And only recently when we were about to interview him, I, I re- found out that it was the same actor. I was like, oh, my mind was just blown at that moment. Wasn't he amazing in the, the you know, the episode where they're facing off against oh, yeah. each other? Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, I just thought he was brilliant in that. That is the hardest. I mean, I've done a little acting, but I've grown up around actors. That's not an easy trick. <laughs> he did it. He did it brilliantly. I thought so. Yeah. Did you also? Uh, I, I think we read somewhere that you had producer credits in some of these yes, series I'm, too. I am. I definitely producer credit on on uh, Conquest. Absolutely. Uh, that's amazing. So you had a bigger hand in it than a lot of people realize. I mean, of course, besides just being the writer, but you got to make executive decisions too. Well, I was a story producer. They never call it that, but that's what we call it. I mean, if you're in animation, you call the story editor in live action, they call you a producer. But I I was a story producer. I worked with uh, Steve Hatman, who sadly, God, I'm so sad he's gone. He has passed away. Mm. But we had, get crying, Sean, please don't. He was a dear man. I just adored him. Anyway, we worked the stories together. I worked with him on every single story. And uh, whether we were in Florida, where we were shooting it, or we were back in, in L.A., I was at his his home office. We worked together every day on this on the scripts, making sure that we the continuity was there in terms of our characters. We just wanted them not to be suddenly, oh, well, that doesn't act like. Mm-hmm. That's not how we're supposed to act. Well, we worked really hard on it. So that's why the producer credit, because we story produced it. Do you have any other ties to the series, whether it be through the games themselves or other forms of media, such as uh, the 97 Annihilation? No, what I did work on for a little while um, when Threshold was doing it, it was like a weekly, it's not a, it was like, God, it's like a a weekly little, you go to our website and we'd have a weekly little show and thing that I would put together, which was actually helpful for me in terms of keeping the characters fresh in my mind of what they're up to and what they should be doing and what they shouldn't. But aside from that, no, the two series. And, and again, I just, I jump, I'm a freelancer. So I would go from working for Larry Kasnoff to working for Avi Arad. And I, I, for Avi, I did, uh, you'll get the variety of that one, Pac-Man for Disney, mm-hmm. the new Pac-Man. Then we did Kong King of the Apes for Netflix. Yeah. Uh, two series, a movie and two series. Uh, two seasons, and then um, Young Tarzan and Jane for Netflix and Avi Arad. So I I go from one project to the other, and then back as they need me. Uh, when I love the studio, like I I, I love Avi and, and Larry. That's amazing. Like yeah. as far as Mortal Kombat goes, were you a fan of Mortal Kombat before you got involved in these projects, or was this kind of your first exposure to it? It was, I knew about it because of the games and all the, all the, 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 ever was just so huge. It was just huge. Mortal Kombat was huge. I loved the movie. I thought the first movie was just so unique. The music just yeah. blew me away. So I loved that. That kind of hooked me in. So when I was brought into Mortal Kombat, it was like I was coming in as a fan. And as I said, when I started to have to really study, I mean, there's so much lore that goes with this. It was like, this is really fascinating and fun. The game guys did a great job. So if you didn't have any uh, sort of knowledge before getting into it, really, what sort of uh, information was shared with you to get you started? Oh, there were just reams of paper on each each character. And I don't I don't remember who put that all together if it came from the games. But let's face it, it was so popular once the movie came out. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of material to go through. Batman was easier because you've got 30 million comics <laughs> for the last 40 years. And and that was fun. And I was always a fan of Spider-Man and, and Batman when I was a kid. My, I, my brother loved them. So, of course, I just grabbed his magazines when he was done. So, our comic I mean, book. before we jump into, you know, more Mortal Kombat questions, I just got to say the fact that you worked on Batman and Spider-Man, both of them. I mean, even for comic book fans, both of those series 
are you know fan favorites yeah. like people still go back and rewatch those so i mean they're up there with x-men the animated series if anything yeah higher. And, and i came very close to working on that because that was again that was uh, uh rick unger he was part of that and avi was part of that too i it, back back in the day in the very beginning of marvel coming back um i i was uh, too too much on one side but i love that that series as well i think <laughs> x-men and they're fantastic. I mean, come on. I mean, it goes I, to say something about, you know, 90s writers. They paid a lot of respect to their source material mm. that we don't see a lot today in a lot of the current series. So I just want to thank you for that because, I mean, especially with Mortal Kombat, I mean, there's so many things that you managed to tie into both of these series that as a fan growing up, you know, it kept, I mean, it kept kind of a consistent lore, which really helped you as far as when playing the games and stuff, even because you knew where these characters came from, you kind of expanded on that universe. So uh, I, I love that about everything you've done. <laughs> well, thank you. I, being a writer, one tends to want to be fair to the writer, the original writer. Yeah. A lot of people maybe don't think so. They want to make it their own. I, I think we should honor what, what I mean, the same with Batman. We tried to really be careful and honor where it, 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 it was, it was born. That seems to be something so, which is being stepped away from these days. <laughs> Everybody seems to be <laughs> trying to uh, make their own way or make their own thing with it. So yeah, I'm with uh, Phantom here. Thank you. <laughs> so let's kind of jump into the first of the series that you worked on, which was Defenders of the Realm. Um, mm -hmm. We got a bunch of questions about it because, I mean, we've honestly been rewatching the series. Uh, well, we rewatched Conquest, you know, because it's airing on HBO Max. And then, you know, leading up to this, we've been rewatching Defenders of the Realm, too. And it, it brought up a lot of questions for us and kind of, you know, all, everywhere from how you went into writing the series into some of the choices and the characters and, and what happened with the plot on this this show, too. I'll be honest with you that that I have not seen in ages. So I may <laughs> you may remember better than I do, but we'll go through it. No problem. <laughs> I remember the cast well, and I remember Chris Zimmerman, the the uh, voice director, was brilliant on that show. So um, that's what I remember the best is that Luke Perry and uh, Dorian, and we had Ron Perlman. I mean, it was just an amazing, amazing cast when you think about it. Oh yeah. First question, I guess, is regarding the actual setting of Defenders of the Realm. It seems to be very '90s focused in the whole. They have a base of operations, and they're fighting against the big bad evil guy from you know the different universe. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious as to was there much of a like a movie influence? I, I think we were dealing. I think what we were trying to do. Again, I'm trying to remember this. It's been so long, but. I think what we were trying to do is get more into the, the the less outworld and a little bit more our world danger. So we were our characters were more humanish based, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. more based in reality almost. Yeah, like yeah. I, it seemed to tie together, you know, the 1990s Mortal Kombat movie with um uh with the Mortal Kombat three video game series because you would even have flashbacks and stuff and kind of reenact some of the stuff that we'd already seen in the movie. Did you? set this movie kind of before Annihilation was made or did you know that that was also getting produced as a sequel to the original movie? I, you know, I don't remember the pecking order on that. Mm. Um, I do remember what, one of the things that we were trying to do is make the series have its own look. And, and But keep in mind, you have a Mortal Kombat movie that a lot of parents probably didn't let little kids see. Now we're doing um, yeah. a block for USA 
And we had, I guess, Street Fighter. And there were, there were like four shows that USA decided to do as animated um, for the first time. It was their first go out there. And we had to get kids who've not been allowed to see the movies to understand the, the lore, the history. So we would repeat things that you, you've, you may have seen in the movie or, of course, you've seen in the game. But we wanted to make sure our audience was able to really understand what was going on. Mm -hmm. So we had to kind of teach them Mortal Kombat as we went because it's a new audience. With uh, sort of bringing in like a new audience, you also had to introduce a set of characters. Uh, what was the idea behind the choice of the characters? Um, I think just the, the ones that were the most fun. I remember Katana was a lot of fun to write. Um, Jax was great to write. Uh, we just we just went with what we thought worked for the stories. I mean, that's sort of how we kind of, you lay your cast out, who you're going to use, who's going to voice it. And then you start doing your, your stories to, to, to fit. It's like with the other Mortal Kombat, with the live action, as you say, Jeff is, is two characters, right? So I have to have Jeff makes be, I have to write the script or I have to hire the writer to write the script that has Raiden, and Shao Kahn in the same story. We had to do the same thing with the animation. A lot of people doubled, and I don't remember who doubled who in, in that one. I'd have to look it back up. But some of the writing is motivated by budget. Let's face it. So I need Jeff to be in Florida to shoot Mortal Kombat, and I need Shao Kahn in the same script because we're going to use him the same day. I can't have Shao Kahn in a script without Raiden. It's that kind of stuff that was It's fun. It's challenging, but it's part of our job. So with, actually, I do want to ask as well, uh, with the choice of characters, obviously you chose who was fun to write and who made sense. Uh, some people were curious about where Johnny Cage hmm. was. I think they're still curious where Johnny Cage was. <laughs> <laughs> Very nicely done. <laughs> I noticed in the new movie, which I had nothing to do with, Larry, uh, Larry had a lot to do with, there's a, there's a poster of Johnny Cage. Yeah, yes. right. <laughs> I thought that was kind of interesting that he's on the wall. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. With the kind of like an Apple ad or, you know, one of those product placements. <laughs> so Johnny was there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I I liked him in the movie. I thought it was interesting, but I think I think there are for me more interesting characters. That's yeah. all. It's just what turns you on and what doesn't. You know, we've talked to uh Adani Morbus who played Quan Chi in uh conquest and he mentioned that everybody was given a, a mortal Kombat bible that was kind of uh you know helped out by netherrealm series or midway games at the time did you mm -hmm. have something like that also for defenders of the realm oh yeah well, i every series we do you write a bible first that's the first thing i do i write the bible which is going to put all the characters in and, and these kind of bibles are are more interesting because there's it's like you're going you're not going back to a comic book but you're going back to the game guys and you're saying is this good and they approved everything so that was probably easier than the usual Bible where you have to create every single thing. Mm -hmm. so the work has been done for you. You just have to be able to adapt it to, in some cases, it's like right now, the new movie is an R, but we never did anything that was anything more than PG-13. Yeah. So it's a different kind of writing. So with the MK Bible, did it sort of give you an idea as to the characters and their personalities? Like how, how, were, the, how were they sort of characterized for the show? Well, I think it's m with most of the stuff that we had, and I, I probably have a Bible hidden somewhere around here from because I never throw that kind of thing away, but it does end up in the garage usually. There's not <laughs> too many of them. <laughs> but I think with with Mortal Kombat, 
you had a lot of, you know, obviously, you know, all the flawless victory and every every catchphrase that they invented. We had to put those to the right characters. But as far as personalities and in some cases backstories, uh, you had to make them up. So it just depended on the character if there was any backstory on it or not. So, you know, we already talked about the voice actors a little bit. How was it working with such an all-star cast on this? It was wonderful. And I have been blessed to have worked with a, a number of all-star casts. So it was just fun. And because I come from a Hollywood family, it, it, it people are more relaxed because they know you're not really their biggest fan necessarily. <laughs> you're not really, <laughs> you don't have your head up there. You know what, because it's not necessary. You grew up with this, but I have to say that, that Luke and Dorian and, and uh, Ron, it, it's just, you keep, it's and then you have a director like Chris Zimmerman who can pull it out of a bad actor, but when she gets a great cast like that, she just goes goes wild with it. It was really fun. My favorite part of animation is the recordings. It's first we do the you know the table reading, which is usually hysterical because everybody's cracking jokes, <laughs> and then we go in and we do the recording, and it just it's to me it's magic. It's like you've spent all this time writing and and imagining in your head and now these guys are getting he- i'm hearing exactly what i wanted to yeah from them and it just feels it's just it's just a rush it's just a rush and it hasn't gotten old for me and i've been doing this a long time i still oh, the tv series was known for some of its taglines like combat time and jackson's signature gotcha and stuff like that was that written to the scripts or was that kind of ad libit and then expanded on <laughs> we put everything in the scripts we did we we let people run, but mm-hmm. in terms of the, uh, creating that kind of, uh, we we script it usually. Was that kind of studio mandated to in order to help you know promote the uh, like action figures and toy lines and stuff like that, or is that uh, something that you guys had decided on adding just? I- I think because we we do a lot of uh, check, you know, doing doing little seminars where you're you're hearing fans like what you do yourself. Mm-hmm. When you when you realize how how much people love that they love to they're waiting to hear it i heard more than one person say we were waiting for scorpion's line in the movie it's like <laughs> it's it's they you you want to give your audience what they want so we did our best to try to 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 incorporate the things that were loved in the game the lines that were loved in the game and the characters that were loved in the game mm-hmm. so that's sort of what motivated there was one character uh quan chi now, we're curious as to mm-hmm. how he made his way into Defenders of the Realm before anybody else from Mythologies or Mortal Kombat 4. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I know that I loved him in the uh, live action series. I thought he was spectacular. I mean, Oh, God. yeah. Yeah. Adani played him yeah, amazing. Was just, <laughs> it was just, he was so creepy. I just loved it. I loved it. It was it, they're just they were so fun to write for because the the one thing that I'll, I'll tell you on Captain Planet, I won't name the famous actor, but I will tell you, originally there was a very famous actor who was to play Captain Planet, and he did. And he would not, for he just would not make an ass of himself. And when you're doing animation, you have to go over the top sometimes. You really do, in order to make it work. You might be yelling over an explosion we're going to put in. Mm-hmm. This actor would not do that. When you get actors like we we had on 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 Defenders and on Conquest, it's such a relief that they're like, you know, I signed on for this fantastical event. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play it that way, and they were great. But occasionally you'll get an actor, and we actually replaced that actor because it was never going to work. So um, 
we were really lucky. We had a great cast and never had to fire anybody. (laughs) (laughs) So when you got in some of these characters, I mean, of course, Quan Chi was, uh, I think we had heard that he was mandated from Midway. How much input did Midway uh, and their team or give to you or was Threshold kind of in charge of characters getting put into the series, especially, you know, thinking about your original characters that ended up into the series like uh, Ruby and Komodo and things like that? I was not I was not exposed to it, whatever if there was any problem with that, it was, we were sheltered from it. If the, if Midway had a problem, mm. it got to us, but we, we, it, we just were doing our job. And then we'd get a note saying, you got to do something with this or that. And that was fine. So there was no sense of, Oh God, you're going to, here they come. It wasn't yeah. any of that. It was, I thought it was a very harmonious production. I really did. It seemed that way. It definitely did. Because like, even as I mentioned with Quan Chi, you know, you managed to reveal a character before he ended up in the video game itself. So. That's pretty cool. It was, it was just so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. Not, not even just uh, Quan Chi himself. It's even the use of Zatera. Like, uh, Zatera, there wasn't much known about Reptile and his race at this point in time. And then you managed to incorporate Zatera as well as the Saurians as villains in an interesting manner. Uh, was that something that was in the sort of the, the Bible they gave you? Well, I think what we did is we wrote the series Bible and we, we look, whenever I write a Bible or Steve... Patman, anybody, uh, Larry, we, we have to think in terms of not just 22, which sadly, I I think it had to do with the budget problem that we didn't get the pickup because the show was kicking ass. It was winning its time slot every time. And the next thing we know, we're not doing another season, which was very sad for all of us. Yeah. It was really like, what? Apparently there was a budgetary thing that made somebody, and I never got really clear on it because, you know, I'm not part of that, that group, but, um, anyway, I've just lost my track. Where was I going with that? I mean, if anything, that, that's a question that was going to come up. <laughs> oh, we were right. We were writing in terms of you, as you see with the, the, the last episode of Conquest, you write to the future. Mm-hmm. You write to you write, you bring in the characters so that, you know, you can really get 22 phenomenal episodes where you're not going, God, I'm pulling teeth to come up with a story with all of these characters, all of these realms and worlds. You could write Mortal Kombat forever. Because it was just, it lent itself to that. So that's what, when we write the Bible, you're really trying to think of, okay, how are we going to get 22 episodes and then another 22 and another 22? So you you think to the future. So as far as thinking of the future, I mean, on the last episode, it, you know, you definitely, it sounds like you had something more planned from there. Uh, did you already know what you're going to do for a second season if it had gotten picked up again? Well, with Tracy... Becoming the queen, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tracy Douglas becoming the queen. We we really thought we were setting ourselves up for a whole a whole new run. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, we. The, the, I I can't remember exactly what we had somewhere again. I, I'm sure we have the second season pretty much laid out, and unfortunately, we didn't get to do it. <laughs> oh man, yeah. what about uh, on that last episode? The art style had changed completely. Do, do can you explain what happened there? I think they had more money. Oh, that could definitely <laughs> make sense. Because if you look at the last couple of episodes, I think because we were we we were doing so well and they were they were thinking the of the sequel, they put. I thought the production had a lot more money behind it. That's how I looked at it. Yeah, yeah. The production value was much. That higher. would make sense that they you know they got that last little bit of money right before it got canceled and. <laughs> 
Right, right. Well, you're you're setting up you're setting up your basically your pilot. Your 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 now we call it binge watching, but back mm-hmm. then it wasn't it wasn't known that way. But you wanted to hook your people and make them wait for the next season. And it's do like, you know was there like what was the exact reason why it got canceled, or do you know anything about it? It it had to do with uh, budget, and that's that's all I was told, and that's all I got, and it was like okay, move on next. Yeah, it's really sad. Maybe they'll change their mind, but they didn't. So. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And who knows? Maybe they'll do it now, but uh, probably with a whole new cast. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems yeah. like the the Mortal Kombat cartoons are starting to become a bit more uh, R rated. In comparison to Defenders mm-hmm. of the Realm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. What was the process like in writing for Defenders? Well, for, for Defenders, it was I was the story editor. Uh, Larry Kasnoff was the executive producer. And uh, and we just had to, it's the same. It was the same process of all my animated series. You, you're the showrunner. You get a handful of writers that you believe can do it. And they all pitch you premises. You make them all read the, the whole Bible, the whole thing really get themselves familiar and pitch. And if the pitch comes in where you go, oh yeah, this guy gets it. Or many times you'll get a thing and you'll get, you'll get five stories from somebody and you go, wow, I wonder what show they think this is because it is not. <laughs> so you don't hire them. But we go out to the, to a group of writers, a team, that's how I do it. And then, because I can't write every episode and get it, get it in on time and nor would I want to because you want the variety of other people's brains. They see stuff you don't even think of. So we get our team together. They'd pitch the premises, then I'd pitch them to the studio, to, to Threshold, and then they'd do it to the game. And then we'd go to the network. And once we get approval, off we go. Write a premise, write a, well, we already have the premise, write this outline, write the script. And that's the process. Did you have any particular inspirations when writing the series? Because, uh, I mean, you included, a, like I, we had mentioned before, a lot of different lore and aspects into it. Uh, I mean, anywhere from, you know, uh, Scorpion raising an army of the dead uh, to, Things like uh, the Dragon Jets. <laughs> but were, was there kind of any influences for you while you were creating the show? I think just just getting as familiar with Mortal Kombat as I could get with, with what they've done in the game, what they've done, what they've written. And we had a lot of people who just loved uh, the, the whole process of, of Mortal Kombat. And they would just come up with incredibly good ideas. And you just see if we can adapt it without going off character with our main guys. Mm-hmm. That's always the challenge because you've got so many wonderful characters and you want to give them backstories, but they have to fit. And did they already have a backstory and you have to get it approved? It was it's a little complicated when you have that much going on and the creators are still alive. Sometimes you're dealing with people who are long dead, so they're not going to complain. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> Did you end up with a favorite episode or a favorite scene from the series? From I couldn't tell you right now. I can tell you I had a few with uh, with uh, Conquest, mm-hmm. but on I have as I said I have not seen it. Hopefully they're going to bring it back. Oh yeah, um, that'd be great. Defenders in a long time. I'm just so I'm so happy that that uh, that that HBO has all of these great Warners like mm-hmm. and my animated Batman is on on HBO. Uh, max now it's really it's just really fun to see these series are not being left behind because they're really good oh yeah they're great I, and i didn't realize batman was there i'm gonna have to binge mm-hmm. that now <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so there were a few similarities i noticed between defenders of the realm and conquest i mean we had things like raiden's characterization uh we had even a musical similarity between the two as well as your treatment of the shadow priests and one thing that i'm not 100 percent sure on. Um, 
but you mentioned the day of Shaka or something in Defenders of the Realm, which comes up to be pretty integral in the final couple episodes of Conquest. Were these similarities, uh, are, are they in my head or was it something that was uh, sort of a conscious decision? I, it, it was a conscious decision. <laughs> it was definitely, yeah. I think it's really fun at the, in, the, the, in Conquest when it's uh, Shaka, Shaka, mm-hmm. and it's Shaka, of course. <laughs> um, but I don't think it was that obvious at first. So I think we wrote it pretty decent and they carried it out pretty good. <laughs> so. That's cool. I like that those concepts kind of carried over, yeah. you know, from, from the animated series into the, the live action show. So tell us, you know, Mortal Kombat Conquest has actually had several different names. It's had Conquest with a C, Conquest with a K, uh, Crusades mm. and Mortal Kombat the series. What was the working title while you were working on it? Oh, I think all of, all of the above. <laughs> basically, basically, we just referred to it as uh, as Mortal Kombat live action series. Oh, cool! That was it, not to be mistaken with the animated. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it went. I think we wanted it with the K, and it would have been really staying with the K. But I think it was a it was a trademark problem of some kind. Oh, interesting. I don't, I don't recall exactly, but you know, you have to clear every name, and it's really hard these days to get anything <laughs> cleared because everybody's got something. It's just right. so weird to hear that it's a trademark problem when you're literally. Working on Mortal Kombat with a K. <laughs> yeah, no, but Conquest, Conquest, Conquest with a K apparently belonged to somebody else. Oh. So it was a drag, though. It was perfect. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what was the MKK? What yeah. was the idea behind the choice of name for Conquest specifically? That I don't remember. Uh-huh. I think it just sounded good. Fair I'm going to be really. You know, that is a lot of what happens in Hollywood. It sounded good. <laughs> it sounded better than that one. So, yeah, it's a, fl- it's a fluidity thing. I think you just wanted to Mortal Kombat Conquest. Right. It rolls off the tongue. <laughs> it rolls off. <laughs> uh, was there a difference in the writing process compared to Defenders of the Realm? Yes, because when you're doing animation and you want to blow up a building, nobody cares, <laughs> especially 2D. You want to blow up a building in live action? Oh my god, a whole different thing. So yes, you have. I mean, it's a whole different process. If I hadn't, I got to be honest. If I hadn't grown up on sets because I was a kid, my father was making movies. He was still acting, and then afterwards, I worked for him when he was directing and producing. I worked as a script girl. I worked as an actor. I worked as every part of the business. Um, I grew up knowing how much more expensive live action is Mm -hmm. so that but that would be the thing i mean the one beauty of writing animation and and not so much today because now everything is cgi which is everything has to be built just like a regular set it's not still not as expensive but it's still much more expensive than 2d Mm -hmm. so you have to just as you're producing and writing you just have to find out the budget and try to stay within it and i'm really good at that (laughs) (laughs) thank god that's why i keep working that's really cool. I mean, especially in Conquest, you know, you had a lot of really good martial artists. Um, oh, the best. Were you, the best. Did you utilize that when writing these scripts with them? Oh, absolutely. But the thing that was great about also the Conquest, I could really, really focus. And the same with, with, with Defenders, because we had a, uh, a story artist, sport artist that really knew how to do the fighting. Mm-hmm. So all I really had to do was say they're fighting here and what I, how I want it to begin and how I want it to end. Oh, cool. So I didn't have to spend my time because I you'd have to be you'd have to be, you know, Chris Casamoto or or, <laughs> or, or or JJ. If you really wanted to be able to write that, you'd have to be able to do that. So they are what they call our second unit that would go out and do the fights really should have been first unit is what they should be called because they made the show. These guys were amazing. You've got to admit oh, yeah. the fighting yeah. on Conquest is as good as the feature. 
Oh, Hanzo. yeah. I mean, it's it's better yeah. than some of the stuff that we see nowadays. Like, it was oh, so good. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it holds up because these guys, and they're still the best in the business. That's the, the, the beauty of mm-hmm. it. They're still working. They're amazing. With uh, Conquest, you know, we've already mentioned this. is It's a pretty timeless show because of the setting and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Did you have any particular inspirations for creating the show in that style? Uh, I think I just personally, I love that. I love, I, I mean, I, you're probably going to laugh at me, but I love Xena and I loved Hercules oh, because they were canned yeah. and they were fun and they were shot in beautiful places. And I just thought it was fun and they're timeless because it was not set in, you know, like 1959. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I think that was, we were thinking in terms and plus it's, it's very hard to, and we did it, we could do it in the animated series, but to have Today, if you have these guys fighting on the streets, I mean, Marvel does it every day now. Everybody just seems to think it's natural <laughs> to see, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> Captain America, the female now, right, flying through your city. Uh, we can't do that. We, it would have really been incredibly expensive. And you, then you keep having to justify it, why people are not going, um, did anybody see that guy? <laughs> scorpion face in the thing. We didn't have to deal with that by setting it in that, that, uh, that village, that area. And I, I'm sure, you know, we shot in Florida, so it was uh, great locations uh, to make it look very special and not, not all like the usual stuff in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. What was the, uh, idea behind the choice of the characters you had? Cause you had a lot of actual original, uh, sorry, a lot of main characters from the games themselves, but then you had a lot of original characters too, such as Ciro, Taja, and Vorpax. Right. Um, I think we were expanding the franchise and why not? And once you have characters that, that are not from the game per se, that are, or at least some of the ones don't have any real backstory in the game, you can invent it for yourself, you're not going to offend any fans. We were very aware of how Mortal Kombat fans are very, very dedicated. And you don't want to mess with It's very funny. I'll make you laugh because most people think I'm nuts. I wrote Mortal Kombat and I also wrote Smurfs. So... (laughs) And we had on the Smurfs, you'd be stunned. The fans, you don't, you don't mess with those guys. You get it right. So you become very respectful of your audience because you're nothing without them. So we tried very hard to, to if we were going to have new characters, that way nobody could be offended by them, but hopefully fall in love with them. Well, that's actually something that is very interesting to me because I am one of those fans who prefers the characters to be treated like true to themselves. And like, I mean, you might've heard with the new movie, a lot of people were a bit annoyed about the addition of an entirely new character as the main character. In this day and age, it's like seen as a big issue where to add somebody into this series, which already has what over 70 plus characters. But with Conquest, it seemed like you weren't overstepping the boundaries. I mean, you really, it really felt like you were adding to the series in some way. And I remember back in the Mortal Kombat Armageddon days, people were wondering whether or not Vorpax was going to be added into the game. So that's quite a feat. <laughs> mm. Mm. That's neat. That's interesting. Um, I think because we have Kung Lao, we, we built the characters around him to, to give him a good support. And I'm again, I'll say Daniel, I thought was just not just a great guy, a great fighter, but a terrific talent. So, and then Kristana, she, I thought was great as Taja and it was, it wasn't out of, didn't feel out of character to have somebody be a thief and and be converted 
The one thing that I will say, and I'm in, I'll, actually, I'll ask you, how did you feel about the new Raiden? Oh, Jeff Meeks Raiden? No, the new Raiden. No, the new Noble Raiden. Asano in oh. 21. Oh, I, gotcha. Yeah, I, I see. I was excited to see him uh, in the role. And I think that they went for a whole new approach to Raiden, which would have been very cool because yeah. it was akin to the dark Raiden sort of aspect, which many of us quite like. But he didn't get his mm-hmm. time in the spotlight to really shine. He was, you know, like a sol- uh, a solemn, quiet Raiden, like, you know, kind of like this overarching god that is watching stuff. But, you know, we grew up with... Uh, we we grew up with the the ninety three or the ninety five movie Raiden. We grew up with Mortal Kombat Raiden, like that has a sense of humor to him, and would kind of be a little cheeky. And so, I mean, it's good for what it is, but at the same time, we're used to the older stuff. <laughs> well, I I'll, I'll be honest. I missed Christopher Lambert I, yeah. and Jeff. I I loved Raiden being fun mm-hmm. really fun um and and kind of scary it was a little paradox so um i missed that in the new movie I, I enjoyed the new movie but i have to say i did i was surprised that 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 it was so straight there was no well humor. it's actually <laughs> interesting that you ask us that because a friend of ours from the mortal Kombat compendium project has actually asked us to thank you for making raiden the best version of raiden that he's ever been uh, like you have the funny teacher, but everybody knows that, you know, he's dangerous. Don't mess with him. So, and I mean, even Phantom and myself, we absolutely loved Jeff Meek's uh, portrayal and the writing of his Raiden. So yeah, yeah. best Raiden. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, I think, I think we ha- asked, uh, because I, the, the, the Raiden in the second Mortal Kombat movie, um, was not Christopher, and we missed him there. So when we got to the series, we really wanted uh, Jeff to do more what Christopher Lambert did, which I thought he was great. Mm-hmm. I also thought he was the best Tarzan ever. So Christopher was was terrific, and 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 I I missed it. I missed that that I don't know camp thing that yeah. he would do. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we we actually had. Um, well, Jeff Meek himself on on the uh, on the show with us. We've also had Adoni Maropis who played Quan Chi. Uh, he's actually the one who told us about and even showed us the Mortal Kombat Bible <laughs> that uh, oh, you're telling good. us. He, still he, he does, yeah. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. That's a collector's item now. <laughs> good for him. He's a cool guy. Super cool guy. There were a lot of notes in that Bible that you know kind of talked about which characters you could and couldn't use. Or reference even due to the timeline. So it's pretty cool that you managed to make up new characters that fans still love. Yeah, no, it's uh, as I said, it's it's you walk very gently on eggshells when you realize that you same with Batman, same with Spider Man. Mm-hmm. You do not want to offend your fans. Even Pac Man. <laughs> people when people love their characters, we do. I mean, I'm the same way. When you love something, you want you want people to honor it you don't want somebody to come in and write something and go who is that that's not him mm-hmm. I mean, i'll go back to winnie the pooh the first time <laughs> i saw my mom used to read it to me when i was a little girl my mom was european so she of course read to us always the first time i heard the disney pooh voice i went that's not winnie the pooh and i was a grown-up <laughs> <laughs> it really offended me it was like what are you giving him this stupid voice for 
when they went to series at Disney, they kept trying to invite me over to go to Disney to work on that show because they knew how much I loved it. But Hanna-Barbera kept bribing me to stay. So I stayed. Uh, <laughs> but I loved what they what Disney did with their TV version of Pooh. But the movie was like, oh, it just offended me. So having been offended for Winnie the Pooh, I have honored my fans. <laughs> <laughs> Silly stories, but true. No, it's good to see like the, the passion that you have and the understanding uh, as a fan of these things. This is really something that I feel is missing nowadays uh, with uh, most Hollywood projects, actually. Do you think it's because it's just we're, especially with the pandemic, that we're so inundated with so much material to look at and it's being made so fast just to get it into all the streaming services do you think that's part of the problem is there's just too much material and they're not taking the time? I, I think that's definitely a, a part of it. But I feel like the the main aspect is the fact that now it's it's more focused on the money rather than the passion behind it. I mean, mm. just hearing you talk about it, you obviously had like you 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 weren't too into Mortal Kombat, but at this point now you're you're showing us so much passion for your for your, your love for the projects that you were involved in. Oh, yeah. If, if I didn't love something, God, it was torture. I'm, I'm not kidding. I have worked on shows where I just prayed every day for it to be over. <laughs> <laughs> not usually the material, but generally it's some, some executive who's driving you out, out of your mind. But I loved working on Mortal Kombat, both of them, so much. And But again, I love working with Larry Kasanoff. He's very creative. Same with Avi Arad over on Spider-Man and, and all the other projects we did. Kong, King of the Apes. So really cool. I just love it. I get to do this for a living. I have my dogs at my feet, watching the birds outside my window. I mean, who gets to do this for a living and love it so much? I'm so blessed. I'm, I don't, I'm not making this up. Ask anybody who's ever known me. I love my job. Another thing is, I mean, that passion is something that's missing in a lot of the, the new and upcoming writers. A lot of them you know, don't have that respect for the characters they're writing or, or aren't fans of the characters they're writing and, you know, just kind of want to come in and make waves and shake things up. And it leaves the fans in the dark. Like they're producing stuff that fans didn't ask for and fans didn't want. And it's, I mean, we've seen this problem from uh, movies to, to TV series, to comic books, cartoons, like it's all over the place at this time. Hmm. You're right. I know. I, I know. I, it's funny because we tend to go to writers we've used before. I bring in as many new writers as I can, but I'm finding often, not always, obviously, but they don't really care. They just want to get it done. They don't want to do the homework. I, 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 I got my first job because I love, I fell in love with the Smurfs that had just come out. I was getting dressed for tennis and every Saturday morning I'd watch these guys. I thought it was the stupidest thing. Everybody <laughs> looks alike. But they're also different. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was a really fun thing. And I and I just I wanted to be part of it. So I called a friend because I'm in that my family's in the business, called a friend. I said, I need a Smurf script. And the <laughs> was like, what is a Smurf? I'm like, it's a thing at NBC. You work at NBC. Give me a script. Give me a script. Got me a script. And then I, I found that episode and I videoed it and I watched it. And then I pitched some ideas and they brought me in and they wanted to use me. It was great because they knew nothing about my family. So it was not nepotism for a change. They actually liked my ideas. And I brought in this stuff and I pitched it. And then I got all the DV, it was a VCR those days. And I put them in and I got the scripts and I did homework every day. I wow. looked at the show and I looked at the script and I thought, well, that isn't in there, but it was in the script. Then I got the storyboard. So I learned that I did my homework and I do it all the time because it just, 
when you've done your homework, the test is easy. If you haven't, you're sitting there sweating bullets. So I think a lot of people are just kind of lazy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. We actually saw this quite recently, well, sort of recently, with the latest Mortal Kombat script, which at this point now has been really um, edited to a degree where you can tell that there's passion involved in it now from Greg Russo. However, the, the previous versions of it were clearly written by people who had no idea or love for the series. So yeah, that, that just goes to show it really is about passion. And if you don't have that passion, it will show. Yeah, well, if, especially if you're doing a series, God, if you might get away with a couple episodes, but pretty soon it's just going to be horrendous. So, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, like your passion's obvious for this for these projects, which is amazing. And you've mentioned that you've been going back and rewatching Mortal Kombat Conquest recently. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs> what's what's it's so fun. what do you think about the show? Looking back on it now, I I think with a couple more bucks, it would have been spectacular. Yeah. But I think. <laughs> I think the the fighting. I think what uh, JJ did, uh, and 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 Chris. I I don't think anybody is. You know, usually you go back and you see a show and you go, "Oh boy, that was done back when." It, some of the special effects. That's where you show today. We would have had better effects. Mm-hmm. Aside from that, I don't think you could have better fighting. These guys were amazing, and it's funny because I would if they were shooting on on the lot or if we were on location and I could do I could go over to where they were because sh- the fights are shot separately it was fun it was just amazing to watch them and just you j- I remember thinking oh god don't hurt me <laughs> they're flipping around they're really flipping they're not they're not wired half the time yeah the way they are today they're all wired up it was amazing what these men did and the women Jesus it was a Awesome. So I thought that was just, it was like candy to get to go watch them do that. Like they're shooting a scene, the scene that we want them to do. And it's like with a reptile or whatever it is, like, I want to go, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> we just run over and do it. And plus, you know, we shot at MGM uh, Studios, which was the the gate to go into Disney World yeah. was right there. So we'd go have lunch at Disney World. And come on, I grew up on at Disneyland. So <laughs> it's like, the, how good is this? We're watching this great acting, the great fights, and then we're going to Disneyland for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was about as much fun as I can remember having. And Florida is so beautiful. So uh, you mentioned Chris Casamasa. I, I said earlier that we had Jeff Meek and Adoni Maropis on. Chris Casabasa was actually our third guest on the show, <laughs> and we loved his fight scenes as much as you seem to as and, well. Uh, and, and I and I I listened to his podcast. Oh. That's the only one I've had time <laughs> right. to listen to. It. Yeah, of course. yeah. Our, yeah. No, Chris is Chris is just he's amazing. He's just amazing. Oh, he's so nice. Yeah, too. great guy. <laughs> yeah. Are you still in touch with him JJ or anyone did. else from the show? Uh, I'll tell you, Larry is in touch with a lot of these people. I'm not. I I have not, but but uh, he's. I know he's still close with Daniel. There's a bunch that he still knows. So, um, but he's still in that world. Larry has always loved martial arts, so he's you know he's got all sorts of stuff, and he practiced it himself. So, uh, when you were working on the show, did you get involved with the casting at all? Uh, no, no, I didn't. I was thrilled with the casting, but I I was not involved. No. Sometimes I'd be a little surprised if some of those women were just. <laughs> gorgeous, <laughs> Okay. Is she got anything left on? <laughs> that is something that uh, many people talk about when it comes to this show. But I mean, 
we say it's a product of its time in terms of both the casting and the and the outfit design. But I mean, the Conquest lovers, well, we loved it. <laughs> well, I I got to tell you, the women were not were not forced to do this. They loved it, and a few of them have gone on to become pretty damn successful. So it didn't hurt anybody. But it's fun. It's just fun. Sometimes it would be like you're imagining somebody. I remember one of the ones that we I can't remember the title of the show. I've got to go back and figure it out. But we had this witch, and we thought she was going to be kind of creepy looking, and she was. Uh, not. <laughs> I remember Steve Hatman. He went, um, okay, all right. Well, that's not how we saw her, but what? <laughs> are you talking about Amicius? That was, it was really, really, it was one of our moments of, okay. <laughs> I, I like to think that they, this was just so long ago, they didn't have bras invented yet. So. <laughs> I like that. I, mean, I think today somebody might just, I I think I'm sorry. I being a woman, I think there's a little too much out of controlness of getting mad at people for for the. I liken it to the group that, and I who don't know exactly who they were that said you can't. Women shouldn't be. Um, uh, ah, now my brain has just gone on fire. The football. Ah, the girls for the football. Oh, there we yeah. go. Yeah, there was a whole big stink a few years ago. Women shouldn't be exploited that way. And the women from who worked their literally asses off mm-hmm. to become cheerleaders for like the cowboys. I mean, you're like superstars. We're like, no, no, we like it. Please don't make our job go yeah, away. Right. And these other women are going, this is wrong. Well, I'm sorry. You want to be a cheerleader and you want to dress up? some way let them do it yeah <laughs> it, just, it just makes me crazy it, unless you're a transsexual you weren't allowed to do that it was like mm-hmm. you know it's just really interesting how people get on us for what we're doing and you have to be so careful today yeah yeah i mean that must make it hard to write some of this stuff too because you never know what's going to go over with certain crowds at this point in, in history i know it's like somebody can come down on you and ruin your career in 10 minutes it's, it's, it's also I mean, it's like, so inconsistent because it's on one hand yeah w- women can wear what they like but then on the other it's like oh but she's showing her skin she's being sexualized it's like where where do you where, where's the line that, that's what i'm talking about with the cheerleaders yeah. it's like for the ones that i have heard interviewed it was like please don't take this amazing job away from me i love it i worked my butt off to get it mm-hmm. and and I'm not being exploited. I'm being appreciated. And that's the fine line that we're walking today. It's very, very tricky. When you were working on this show too, you know, you, uh, I mean, we've kind of stated as a product of the time, but <laughs> you had characters that were not in the, in the video games and that you had kind of introduced to them. And one of my favorites who also never wore a bra <laughs> was uh, Genevieve, who became like a love interest to Kung Lao in the first episode, like the pilots. Um, yes, Jen. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, characters like this. What inspired you to kind of throw them into the game, or throw them into the 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 show? Well, it was uh, is probably a little bit of my Batman. Uh, <laughs> there's a one to me. The one thing that was great about uh, Bruce Wayne was the fact that he was walking around with so much angst. I mean, and we knew yeah. his angst because of his parents being shot. Well, Kung Lao's angst was losing the love of his life. And it just seemed like a very good idea to um, give him. Also, how do you go and how do you justify 
some guy named Raiden showing up and saying, you got to do this. You got to save the world. You got to do Mortal Kombat. And then you do it. And then what's going to keep him going? What's going to keep him moving? Well, he lost the love of his life and he doesn't want other people to go through that. So there's, there's some of that you've got to give people, at least I think, you've got to give your characters depth. And he mm-hmm. had a lot of depth because he lost her. That's that's how I you see You know, it. that's interesting that you kind of mentioned that because everybody who played the video games know what happens to the great Kung Lao. Like they know that eventually he is going to go on and die by Goro's hand. But you managed to make a character that everybody knows is going to die. And you kind of intertwine this idea that he's trying to choose his own destiny. So you made the entire plot of this episode into a character who we know what's going to happen to him. We know what his destiny is going to be. But you made it so we're rooting for him and we're hoping that he is not going to choose this destiny that we know is actually going to happen in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's 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 very interesting, too, when you when you it's really a, kind of a brain drain when you have to think in terms of I'm using a character who is going to die. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't know it or does he know it? And, and Raiden's trying to keep this. And then we, we gave Like I said, we gave him her to give him more depth. And I think with Daniel's character, with Zero, with the brother, that was another way to do it, to bring him in. And then they hadn't spoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Taja's old friend becomes a thief, comes and joins. I think it was good to bring backstories in as part of our story so we get to know everybody a little bit better. Yeah, you, the way you had the characters interacting with each other, sorry, with each other really sort of demonstrated that depth to all of them, especially Kung Lao. I mean, there's an entire episode about Kung Lao having to come to terms with the fact that Siro and Taja might die. Uh, and the fact that he's going to have to live on without them because he's basically immortal as a Mortal Kombat champion. Um, there you have Raiden at the end, like giving him hell for basically risking his title as grand champion. So yeah, I, I definitely think you were very successful in demonstrating just how much depth there was to him through the addition of all these other characters. Mm, thanks. Uh, Good. Well, <laughs> we were shooting for it. I also really liked, I really liked the relationship. It was fun to write between, between Tracy as, as before she became queen and Shang Tsung when they were fighting uh, and, and they were locked together. And, and I liked the dynamic of those two. And I, I liked him very much. He was such a wonderful actor to watch. So um, Bruce, obviously lock. Um, so that those pairings were fun. And obviously you need foils to work off of. You can't act off of, of a rock. You got to have a, another actor that's fun to work with. So I thought that pairing was a lot of fun too. And the fact that she ends up, you know, evolving into the potential next queen of the world. So, I mean, you also, I mean, other than Genevieve or Jen as Kung Lao's love interest, you also sort of gave him a love interest with not just <laughs> Kitana, but even Melina, technically, in a pretty uh, uh-huh. interesting switch in uh-huh. the episode. Mm-hmm. One one thing that's quite interesting about that is that you use Kitana as his love interest when she's also Liu Kang's love interest later on. I, well, it was, <laughs> we just like her. I mean, I like the character in the game. I like uh, the fans. I mean, the not the people fans, but the fans she followed, <laughs> um, she was, a, I thought, a phenomenal character. Just in, And we used her a lot in the animated series. Um, uh, we used her a bit in the live action. Um, when it fit, it was great to bring her in. It was an interesting dynamic, actually, that you had between Kitana and Shao Kahn, with her sort of having to go behind his back, yet sort of doing mm-hmm. it 
somewhat openly as well. <laughs> I know. It's, it, it's sort of, I hate to use the word, but it, it really is. It's sort of a martial arts soap opera. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah, it was. Because you've got all of these characters vying to, to be in control. I mean, from Quan Chi to Shao Kahn. And then you've got you've got the females all after him, Kiri, everybody. I mean, it was just great. So you just mentioned Quan Chi. And obviously mm-hmm. you were trying to bring in all of these characters, whereas also using your own. Why go with the creation of sort of this new trio of his personal assassins with Sian, Mika, and Sora, rather than Serena, Kaya, and Jataka? I don't remember if that was what we were told to do. Obviously, sometimes it had to do with the games, but also when you bring in, as we spoke of earlier, when we would bring in a new character, we were not limited by what, not knowing that they're going to die in the next game or in the next movie or in the thing. When they're our own, we didn't have to worry about any of that. And it made it, you know, and they're a little scarier because we got to create what we wanted for them to I be. I think uh, Serena, uh, Kaya, and Jataka weren't made yet when this series came out. That oh, could be well, possible. Yeah. That, as I said, yeah, that was so long ago. I have I haven't got my lore up in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and as you said, and we we know, there's just a gazillion characters that right. come with this uh, property. I mean, you've got you just got the the human versions. You've got the the outworld versions. It was just it was so much. Fun. I think it's over a hundred now. Is <laughs> so many are out there? It's crazy. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> I I actually do think that they were out by this point. It was 97 when Mythologies came out, but, uh, you know, very, very close with each other. So, but it was interesting to see these, you know, this trio. I mean, uh, Adoni Maropis really loved them (laughs) specifically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There was, firstly, my favorite characters are Rain and Smoke. And you actually are pretty much the only time that I've had been able to have Rain in a live action in a, in as an actual character who has sort of agency in some way. Um, but there was one episode which to this day, and I like Fan Tim has heard me say this a lot of times, I was so excited at the end of one of the episodes where you had smoke sort of wafting in and you teasing us with his appearance. And then from that point, we never actually saw him again. <laughs> Were there any plans Aww. for smoke? <laughs> <laughs> now, why did you why did you like him so much? I'm curious. Uh, why was he your favorite? I, I was always very into his human form. Now, I'm not sure if you're. Oh, oh no, you of course you are aware. Uh, he he gets turned into a cyborg, but I always preferred mm-hmm. his human form, and I always loved his smoke manipulation abilities. But on top of that, I liked the fact that he and Sub Zero were friends, and it was an interesting sort of relationship as well as storyline behind him, where he gets betrayed by his own clan, and it's so tragic. So that all sort of added mm-hmm. to my love for his character. Well, that's the soap thing I'm talking about. Yeah. You, 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 got enough, <laughs> you got you got sucked into his into his character because it was it developed for you. That's good. That's that's interesting. so interesting to hear you say because like you, the more I think about it, it's like yeah, Mortal Kombat is this uh, inter realm <laughs> soap opera between all these different characters, and that's kind of why the fans love it. Yeah. Uh, in the same way, you know, wrestler fans love wrestling because. It's, it, you know, it's a soap opera. It's, you get invested in these characters in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's really entertaining. You want to be entertained. It's, it's not just watching them beat the crap out of each other. Pardon me for saying that, but it is what they do. And it's really fun to watch. But if that's all it is, then you're just going to watch, like you say, well, let's watch wrestling. Mm-hmm. So we, we had to get, 
depth out of these characters is the way they, the original Batman was the minute he saw his family die. It was yeah. just, boom. Don't have to explain anything about this guy. You get it. And then we, of course, killed Robin's family the same way right in front of him and Batman. Mm. So it just, you just, it says a lot really fast. And, and emotional drama and trauma is, is great writing. Sad for the character, but great writing. <laughs> Draws us in. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess my last point on the characters, as you can tell, I very much love them. <laughs> um, we had Reiko appear in Mortal Kombat 2021. And he's actually seems to be one of the uh, community agreed weak points of the movie. Whereas in Conquest, even though he barely appears, this is actually possibly the most accurate Reiko we've hmm. ever seen. So hmm. again, just saying cool. thank you. <laughs> oh, good. I like it. It's just so fascinating to hear this after, after all this time. Did you see that? That it's holding up and people are enjoying With it. With the series, um, you know, you base most of Shang Tsung's appearance in the Cobalt Mines. D- mm-hmm. Did th- Was this something that was kind of handed to you by Midway? Or um, was it inspired by the Mortal Kombat 4 comic book? Or was it something that you had just kind of came up on the spot with? No, I think it just was a great look for a set, the reusable set. And, oh, okay. and as I said, we were at the studio was, uh, uh, we were right on the our soundstage. It, it just worked. It was easily, it was easy for the, for the camera. It was easy for the actors. And I thought, I think it looked great. So I think that in a lot of the, the, the live action, it's, it's budget. And what do we have available? What can we do? What can we build? We built our little, our little village and the trading post and all of that was really fun to just hang out there because they built it. It was really a little trading post. Yeah. You actually had somebody who would deliver hamburgers on set and serve them from a booth or something. Yeah. We, we did have some fun. We really did. We really did. It was a good gig. With the Cobalt Mines, um, I mean, we only time we ever saw a Shokan Goro's race was, you know, kind of like a pan down you would do from the top of the mines. You'd see this four armed creature sometimes. Mm-hmm. Was that mostly because of budgetary constraints or did you have any plans to use that race uh, at some point in the mines or in the series? I think we were hoping to use it in the next season and it was it was just a cool look. I mean, it was really Oh, cool yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the new Mortal Kombat, the Goro was amazing. Uh, you can just see that the, the special effects today have just evolved so much mm-hmm. from the first Mortal Kombat to the last uh, feature. It's just it's just great what they can do today. It's just awesome that's uh it's interesting like right before you you joined the call with us i sent phantom uh the theme song from the cobalt mines and it really sticks in your head i can hear the the sort of the bells like ding. <laughs> uh, cool. Cool. <laughs> I, I still i still every time i see the the well now we can watch it on on hbo max but when i would see the first uh mortal Kombat movie the music just I would just, you know, you're flipping channels. Oh, I just got to tune in to hear the music. I got <laughs> yeah. to tune in to hear that. It was so unique and so, it was energizing. So you didn't have really a lot of, well, any gory fatalities, but you did have a lot of deaths in the show. I mean, the goriest fatality you had was technically Reptile's acid spit on Tomas, who we thought was a great character, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. I know, me too. I liked him a lot. I was I hated so sad. That was so sad on that. Yeah. Like, even rewatching it, I had forgotten that Tomas dies at the end, and I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, no. I, I felt so bad oh, for Tomas, yeah, too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Tasha. She finally fell in love. Uh, but well, so the decision, I mean, 
you obviously had fatalities, but how gory could you get? I mean, it was obviously consciously done in such a way where you didn't go too yeah, far. Yeah, no, we had to be we had to be careful. But there is something I think wonderful about killing off characters because people don't expect it. Mm-hmm. They just don't think you're going to take somebody and kill them. <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's the element of surprise is really good there. But I was sad we didn't carry him over further because he was great. Um, so with the you know, in that episode too, you got to use the Zatera race, uh, the race of reptile. In mm. it, you had said that they weren't destroyed because Shao Kahn wanted to make uh, the Saurians strong allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in the game continuity, Zatera is actually annexed by Outworld as Shao Kahn invades them. But in Mortal Kombat Conquest, we actually you, you actually make it very clear that no, in this case, Zatera is still around. Why, and even explain why, which is actually more than the games tend to do nowadays. <laughs> but um, uh, you, you also had a bit of like uh, influence, I guess, from the 95 movie where you, you gave Reptile obviously his, his movie look, but then you also gave them the camouflage look from the movie too. And it was really interesting seeing how you brought Zatera to life. What sort of background info did you have on Zotero for this? Just what was in the game and what, what we could gleam from, um, from Midway. Um, I think, again, it's it, what can we build? It's always when you're doing live action, how do you build the set? How do we how do we create this? Can we afford to, you know, spit acid and have it look really good kind of thing? <laughs> and do Again, that would be the one thing I think Larry and I would both agree that the only downside to the series being done then versus now is we would have had better special effects. Not that I'm ashamed of them, but I can see how we could have made them even better and for a lot less money today. I'm pretty sure they've stood the test of time even even now. So, um, But on the topic of races... We're picky. So, sorry? <laughs> sorry. I said we're I, picky. Well, good. That's what I want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we're picky. But on the topic of uh, races, you also actually added an entirely new race to the show called the Koreans. What was the inspiration behind them? Was it uh, Xena? I think we just... They just loved having more women. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, they were a full female society, weren't they? Yeah. It, actually, it's more, uh, yeah, Xena, a little bit probably because that was fun, but it's uh, it's very uh, more Wonder Woman, actually, in terms yeah. of the, the race of women. Uh, so, yeah. It's it's not brand new, but it works. <laughs> it might be interesting to you to know. Um, uh, are you aware that they were actually referenced in the Mortal Kombat X comics by Reiko? Uh, no. Well, I mean, no, technically I they've become canon now. So, <laughs> good. I'm glad it was fun. It was fun, and it, and it gave it gave us something to do with Tracy's character. I mean, she she really needed more to go with, and it, it was it was fun to pit them all together and against each other. Yeah, I think so. Like, unfortunately, the syndication, you know, of Mortal Kombat Conquest was kind of not consistent in America, and so that part of the show is kind of where my memory gaps are at because I I could never watch it uh, one episode after another because they would kept changing the syndication dates and stuff like that. Um, it was interesting because they ran it. Um, they ran it on 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 Warner, and they ran it. They ran it on. I, was it Turner or TV? One of one of the other states. They ran it twice a week, and I think that's where the budgetary problems came in too. You don't normally do that, so residuals are not outrageous, so. right? But they did. They 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 kind of flooded it, and then you couldn't find it, and then they flooded it. So <laughs> I hear you. 
I hear you. That wasn't anything to do with us. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, that's the programmers. What was the idea behind the sort of, I mean, obviously you mentioned Wonder Woman, but the, the Koreans themselves sort of reproduced in a hive-like way. What, that was cool. Yeah, definitely. Was, what was the idea behind that? <laughs> it's just creepy cool. I mean, it's all I can tell you is that I, I don't remember how we inspired ourselves to do that. But I think the idea of saying that that it was a really good way to have an invasion because Shao Kahn can't break the Elder God rules and come in, but she can have her hives and have an army ready to go. So without breaking any rules because they were born in Earthrealm. Yeah, that, that is. Are you actually, buying that? Because I think that's what we were no, trying to sell. That's literally what Mortal Kombat Three sort of did with uh, Sindel, actually. So, <laughs> very, very similar. And I, I thought it was real. The, the idea of, of 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 beehive burst it was just so cool, creepy. Kind of while we love bees, they are insects. It was just sort of a creepy, wonderful it, thing, and I thought it worked pretty well for the show. It, it might interest you to know that. There's another race now in Mortal Kombat, as of Mortal Kombat X, called the Kaitin, which are basically hmm. insects as well. Uh, yeah. So again, this could have been influenced from that. For I all think we, we know. all we all kind of fed each other's creativity, and it's worked out really well for the franchise. Yeah, so yeah I definitely think so. Did you yeah. end up having a, a favorite episode from this uh, from the series? I am unsure which at this point. I really liked uh, with the. Uh, uh, Daniel's with Ciro's brother. I like that very much. Mm. Uh, I liked it with Tomas. It, it, there's a handful that I thought were really, really fun. So I haven't picked my favorite yet because Larry keeps saying, which is your favorite? <laughs> I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I like a lot of them. So mainly because I, I liked working with Daniel so much. He was just such a lovely man. And Jeff. You just kind of have favorites, not based on the story, but based on the character, the people. Mm -hmm. So it's it's sort of, I'm not really a, an honest answer because it's, oh, I really enjoyed that day. We had a blast and they were great. So I, those are my memory. You know, eventually the series got canceled. How did you find out about that? Um, I don't remember. I just know that, 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 that we're getting picked up. I don't remember if Steve told me or if Larry told me, but I know I was sad because I thought it, we were doing so well. It was like, you don't, and the same thing happened with the first one, the first mm -hmm. animated series. USA, we kicked butt. Our ratings were the best they could imagine. Yeah. We beat Street Razor. But USA went out of the animation business. They said it's not profitable for them, so they didn't do it. That's why we didn't get picked up with that one. Mm. So you just never know. I mean, I've, I have been picked up on shows that I thought we'd never get picked up and vice versa. It's just, it's somebody out there is juggling the money and that's how it usually comes down. So- You've, you mentioned that you enjoyed the last two episodes. We, we spoke about how Raiden comes to a head with, uh, well, himself technically, as Jeff Meek, but yeah, Shao Kahn. Uh, what was the idea behind the final two episodes and what sort of direction would you have gone in following that? Well, I think we were just setting ourselves up for a, a, a bigger invasion and you were worried whether Raiden's going to be alive, mm -hmm. if he's going to really make it. And, and we were trying to make it very... If you don't tune in, tune in, you're going to be really sorry. <laughs> As I said, it's funny. When I did my first series for Netflix, um, which was uh, Kong, they took Pac-Man and then they decided they wanted the same team. So we came in and, and we're the same team. We made the Kong King of the Apes. I, they taught me the expression binge watching. I did not know what that meant, but every single episode had to make you want to watch the next one immediately. Back in the day when we were doing series where you had to wait a week, you still 
it was serial. You wanted people to tune in and see what was coming. I mean, so. it was the most epic cliffhanger in the history of television. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was big, wasn't it? It was good. It was I mean, good. do you still, I mean, I think this is probably on top 10 list around the internet of what happened and what, like, like everybody wanted to see what happened to the series. Like you mentioned, tune in next time and find out. And we never got that closure. I mean, everybody literally dies at the end of conquest. <laughs> well, it, not really, but they, they're all alive and well and, and wishing that they had gone on. But the good news is they all pretty ha had really good careers after. So that was pretty good. <laughs> we didn't hurt any. We didn't hurt anybody's career, but it, it's, as I said, it's frustrating. And you can be on a show that's uh, super successful and all of a sudden it's canceled and you don't even know why mm -hmm. and you just move on. The first, the first experience I had with that is I thought Smurfs would be going on forever. We had like six seasons. I was like, what? we're not doing it again. Oh, now what do I do? Ooh, they're doing Batman. I want in. And of course they, the idea of hiring a woman to be on Batman, but I convinced them there were, a hundred men on the show, storyboard artists, <laughs> producers, everybody. You could use a woman and I can write Catwoman really good. <laughs> and anyway, I sold them on the idea and we had a, it, it was very successful. So we were very happy. So I have to ask, I have to focus on this now because we've got you here. <laughs> you mentioned that we, we, you wanted to keep us, keep the viewer like around to say, oh my God, what's going to happen next season? And you definitely did so. Um, but the question was less as to whether or not Raiden was okay. But how the champions were going to come back because they all die. And, and this is a question that I think every single Mortal Kombat fan has been waiting years to hear, to be honest. <laughs> what was the idea? Did they all die? Because Shao Kahn literally says dead and then throws all, each of their possessions saying dead, 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 dead. And we see them die, technically. So what happened? Well it's Mortal Kombat, and we can bring them back. Shang <laughs> <laughs> Tsung was dead, and he, he, was, he was brought back. That was, uh, I mean, let's face it, if that's, this is Mortal Kombat. Of course, they're not really dead, <laughs> and we would have brought them back. So did you have any sorry. plans for the, did, oh, sorry, did you have any plans for the, uh, how to continue the series and how to start it over for season two? As I said, I don't remember exactly how we were playing. No, there's a there's a there's a booklet somewhere that's got that a script somewhere that's got it all in it. But no, we we just thought that we wanted to make it as dramatic an ending as possible. Is Raiden going to be okay? Are is he going to be able to bring everybody back? Can we keep them from invading? And and what? Stay tuned. It's it's what we're going to do. The thing that's great about that kind of a, a show is yes, you you. And you remember in the beginning, in the very first episode of, of uh, Conquest, he, you think Shang has killed him and he's just playing dead. But he, was, but he really wasn't. He said, you just played dead. He really wasn't dead. He was, he was almost going to be with Jen. He was almost willing to let go of his soul and leave. Mm -hmm. So we managed to do that in the beginning and we managed to do it at the end. Mm. So, so, you're, so possibly not necessarily resurrection, but like a red herring almost <laughs> yeah an illusion however we wanted to pull it out yeah but i know that we wanted the same cast because they were very they're very well received oh, so yeah. it wasn't like we we're going to recast the the three stars we were just going to relocate them probably okay mm -hmm. so i mean there were a lot of fan theories uh, going around when this happened that maybe it didn't even actually take place maybe it was a dream or something yes Yes, and we we certainly had that as an option. We 
always have that as an option. And we did that a bit with when you looked at Kung Lao, he was dreaming. Remember, he Mm -hmm. was having dreams of death. Mm -hmm. So I think we were going to probably pull that off, too. Also, in any metaphysical, let's get a little bit real, you have alternate realities. You can choose your reality. You can choose to go negative. You can choose to go positive. So we could have played off of that as well. This was one reality. One reality is that Kung Lao is going to die at the hands of Goro, but maybe not. Maybe he'll change his destiny. Mm. So you you get a lot of a lot more freedom within a world like this, which is in a way very metaphysical. You know, a, a lot of uh, Kung Lao's nightmares too seem to be as if he was losing to Goro. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, did you have? Uh, you mentioned earlier that you kind of had plans to bring him into season two or to bring a, a Shokan into season two. Was that part of that at all? Well, Kung Lao definitely, and uh, Ciro and Taja were all supposed to come forward with Raiden into into two, and Tracy Douglas was supposed to be part of the cast as well. So we were trying, and 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 uh, pretty much everybody except the ones we had already killed uh, would be coming <laughs> back. But was it a dream of what a potential reality? Was it really what happened? That was what we were really, we were safe. Mm-hmm. We could figure out how we could go forward from there because we had options of how to do this, but make the ending really profound that, that shit, they're all dead. Was, was, any, <laughs> was anything written, so, like, oh, not written. Obviously, you were exploring those ideas, but was there one idea that everybody was sort of gravitating towards more than another? You know what? I wish I could tell you I remember that, but no, at that point, at that point, now we're, you know, as you're getting successful, you're going to have more, more, more suits in the room and you're going to go forward deciding, you know, what we think and how many, in most cases, especially with animation, I end up having to write the next four or five um, premises of what the next season is going to be before we even end the first season. So we probably had a lot of options to go, well, we could go this way, that way. What's our budget going to be? Are we going to continue shooting here? Are we going to move? So there are all those contingencies. So you, I mean, Phantom just mentioned, obviously, about Kung La possibly fighting Goro. Um, and you did mention that you were possibly planning to bring in a Shokun in the second season. What was, was the idea, I mean, if you remember, was the idea possibly that Shang Tsung was going to meet Goro in the Cobalt Mines as they were actually the prisons of the the prison of the Shokans, or was that not really planned? Mm, I wish we'd had you on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, we could have used you. I don't, I'm not, I'd be honest. I'm not sure what we were planning. I do know that we, we had Raiden. We had Shao Kahn. We're bringing them both back because they're the same actor and he's fabulous. Mm -hmm. That's that, that, that's the, 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 the difference between just being in the fan world of it and being in the, how do we practically do this? We have to have these actors. You have to write them in the same script. So there's some rules that you have to follow, even though you'd rather just go crazy. We couldn't. We had to stay within the parameters of our budget. So based on how much or how little, I suppose, was actually planned for the second season, did you possibly have a list of characters that you were considering bringing back? I mean... For example, leading back to my last question of Smoke, you obviously teased him. Was there any plans for him or anybody else along those lines? Oh, I think everybody we set up, we set him up in, in hopes of bringing them back. That's cool. And it also, also keep in mind where you had JJ and we had Chris, that 
we could also use them as different characters because of obviously the wardrobe. You can, it's like you didn't realize Shao Kahn was Jeff because of the wardrobe, the, the mask he was wearing. And that was one of the beauties of the show is having these great talents that you could put into other ninja suits and they could go. I mean, I've, I've had to actually look up who was in, in a certain fight because I couldn't remember they were so good. And so are they fighting each other? <laughs> it's like JJ himself? No, it can't be. Who is the other, who is the other fighter? We had amazing, amazing people that we could interact with. And I don't remember who, who we had for rain or smoke, but um, I'm sure if we looked it up, it was one of our, our regulars with, in another costume quite often. With uh, smoke being, you know, one of Yanni's favorites, I got to ask, did you have any specific fan or did you have any specific plans for him in the a second season or was it just that you knew you were going to use him? Well, he's just, as you said, with the smoke talent, it, it's it's an effect that is very easy, easy to reproduce. Hmm. And it's just a great character, so why not? Yes, I think we had planned. That's why we teased him. We never thought for a second we weren't going to get a second season, so everything was thinking in the future. That's really cool. Yeah. So let me ask you then, uh, were you approached after the series to do anything else regarding Mortal Kombat? Because as we've said, you've left a huge thumbprint on the series from stuff that's kind of become canon to stuff that has inspired other things in the Mortal Kombat games. So, well, I think Mortal Kombat went into sleep mode for a while there, mm, um, mm. in terms of, of of things, and and I, as I said before, I'm a work for hire. I I love just I love going to the next thing. I love going to to work for Abi Arad on all of these projects for Netflix. I I just go where the fun is, and Mortal Kombat was like I said, it seemed like it was in sleep mode. They weren't making another movie. Nothing was happening. So I just, you know, you move, you move on and you see what the next thing up. I've stayed very close with Larry Kasnoff. We've got animated movies. We, as I said, we did the Bionicle movie, uh, for Lego. We did uh, hero factory for Lego. I thought they were both really fun projects. So I've kept in touch with everybody and nobody approached me for the, the new movie. And that's fine. They didn't <laughs> approach me for the Smurf movie either. And that's was fine too. Mm-hmm. You know? They go to new people and sometimes it really works. And sometimes it's like it, you, you'll see some of the new remakes, reboots, as they're called. And you go, wow, it has nothing to do with the original. Right. <laughs> so do you think there's ever a chance we'd actually see a possible follow up to it in some form? Mm-hmm. To, to Conquest, yeah. I would be surprised if they didn't do something. If, it, if, if the streaming does well, I'm sure they'll probably think of doing something or they'll do their own version of it, a new version of another series. I would be surprised if they didn't. I mean, it's an amazing franchise. There's a staggering figure. I saw it online once. It's like that franchise is gross like $5 billion. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, worldwide with all the things that are, I mean, I don't know if it's true, but I read it once and went, whoa, that sticks in your brain. That's a lot of money. So, I mean, I can, if that's what that's worth, can you imagine what Spider-Man and Batman Oh, yeah. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, we could get rid of the national debt. (laughs) So do you still have any involvement with Wonder Brothers or Mortal Kombat as a franchise at all? I mean, you'd said that uh, they hadn't approached you again with Mortal Kombat, but what about WB? Uh, nothing, nothing from the group that just made this movie, other than the fact that I'm, I'm still working with Larry and he's a producer on the film. But it wasn't it wasn't like I said, I wasn't available even actually if if they had. But if they come to me, I'll be happy to talk to them. But um, I'm just happy it did well. I think 
There's so many great people attached to that that franchise that I wish them just the best, including myself. I love the fact that I'm getting such sweet emails and notes and you guys contacted me because they like uh, Conquest. <laughs> it makes you feel really good. Uh, what have you been up to since Conquest then? Well, as I said, I did uh, Kong King of the Apes and uh, Tarzan and what else did I do? I got him looking at my wall. <laughs> we have several things in, in production right now that we'll see that I can't talk about because these stupid non-disclosure. <laughs> I guess they're important, but it's very frustrating. But yeah, no, I've kept busy and Larry and I actually during the, the during the pandemic wrote a couple of scripts together just to give us something to do. I mean, it was like we were locked down and it was horrible. And it was mm. like, well, let's be creative. So we've come up with a couple of animated features that are really going to be a lot of fun. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Are any of those projects yeah, yeah. something that you are able to maybe, that you'd like to tell fans to have a look at? Or nothing you can talk about I at all? I can't yet, but when I can, I'll get back Sounds to you. Sounds good. <laughs> I'll reach out to you because, as I said, we've got these non-disclosure. It's really interesting because if you today, particularly if you have celebrity attached to a project, it is even more silent. Yeah. You have to be more careful. So good news is we do, but I have to be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so since you created Mortal Kombat Conquest, there have been, of course, like we have 11 games now, Mortal Kombat games. Um, and not counting like some of the spinoffs and stuff like that. Um, you know, there have been uh, uh, web series that have been sanctioned by Warner Brothers, there have been animated movies, and of course, the new movie. Have you kept up to date with any of the series at all since uh, your involvement? No, but now that you said it, the first web series is the one that I, I did work on. I think we did like, I don't know, oh. 30 episodes or something. So, yes, I did it with Josh. Josh, what was Josh's last name? Anyway, he was at Threshold. And he was in charge of that, and I did. A, I just wrote one like a week. It was just it was really For legacy. Kind of fun. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, that was one of the my first experiences with a web series like that. It was it was fun. So, I mean, I guess overall, what's been your favorite Mortal Kombat project that you've worked on? Definitely Conquest. Oh, really? It was <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah. Oh God, it was fun. <laughs> Again, I you can't you can't oversell the fact if you have a good cast and a and a and a, and I want, I want to say loving, but a, a harmonious cast. And they really were. It's really a delight. And then to, uh, on top of it, we had these stunt guys and fighters. It was just, it was magical. It was just a magical time. That's cool. Yeah, uh, many writers like to leave their thumbprints when they write a script. Do you have any specific techniques or trademarks and styles that you like to leave on your works? You know what? I don't want anybody to say that's hers. I want them to just get lost in the story. That's, I think, a lot of writers' ego gets in the way for me. So I try not to do that. So I'd be kind of the opposite. That's such a good hmm. answer. <laughs> it's kind of true because, yeah. But um, if anybody really wants to get to see what I've been doing, I do have a website. It's SeanCatherineDerek.com. And it's got some Mortal Kombat on it. It's got all the other stuff as well. So it kind of also has the family history, which is... My family is kind of entertaining. <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> My dad was quite the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Good stepmother's too. Yeah. <laughs> so um, do you have any dream projects that you would love to write for? Hmm. That's a wonderful question. I have one. I can't say what it is because it's just I can't. But I do. I'm actually working on a dream project. Oh. And I'm hoping to be able to tell you within a few months what that is. But yes, I, I'm very blessed to do that. Uh, I have a few projects that I did for um, uh, one that I did for uh, Avi Arad, who again, I can't say what it is, but it's a feature that I really hope 
at some point will go forward. So some of the scripts haven't been made yet. The beauty of our business is something might be too similar at that time, or you might go, okay, we can't do that right now because this movie's coming out. But eventually they get done and it's really fun. It's really fun. So do you have any projects that you'd like to plug um, as far as things that have already been released or that you can talk about before we let you go? Well, I really had fun with Kong King of the Apes. There's a writer named Ken Pontac. I think he's as good a writer as anybody in the business I've ever worked with. We worked on a couple of projects together and he and I pretty much did uh, wrote most of the Kong uh, especially the second season, we just alternated, went back and forth. It's fun. It's on Netflix. And I've always liked King Kong. Believe it or not, I've done six versions. I've done different animated movies. I usually did one that was a musical with Kong, King of Atlantis. It was hysterical. But Kong and I have become very good friends over the last 20 years. <laughs> That's cool. And, uh, so, so I really like that because working with Avi was just great. And Tarzan, the young Tarzan and Jane was fun as well. Netflix. Kong is great. I, I've watched Kong and I've watched Pac-Man on Netflix because I, I got them both uh, on there. Mm. Yeah, they're both a great series. Oh, Ken, Ken's, Ken's, Ken Pontac's Pac-Man's, he was so outrageous. <laughs> He's just got the craziest mind. I know. The things he did with, with Pac-Man would make me laugh. I would just get his script. I wouldn't know what was coming. You know, I'd sign it out. I, I know the premise. I get the script. I'd be laughing out loud going, this guy is brilliant. Every episode is so, so different. Like you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you got things like you got giant monsters appearing and then you got... <laughs> Pac-Man just going around, uh, like having to, to burp and eat food all the time. So I, Ken wrote one where, where he ended up as a big giant balloon because he, he blew up into a balloon, but he had zits on his face and he kept hitting the building and they were popping. I was laughing my head. I said, you're so sick, but it's killer fun. So that's my buddy Ken, man. He's my go-to writer. I think he's just a genius. I love it. That's great. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so before we let you go, uh, I'd like to ask, what is your favorite fatality? If, wow. If any. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> the one I wish I could actually uh -oh. do. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I think there's just something about Scorpion with that, that going for the throat. God, there's just something about that that was pretty awesome. And I have to say, Sub Zero was really good at turning and then smashing people to bits. I mean, you just yeah. can't do it. <laughs> yeah. Classic. So, again, on the villain side, Scorpion and Sub Zero, I love them. And I love that the, the, the Sub Zero's brother. I mean, there's mm -hmm. so much history to all of this stuff that. Obviously, it's fantasy, but it's real to me. It's history now. <laughs> so where, I mean, you mentioned your website. Is uh, Where else can our listeners find you? Uh, that's pretty much my background. It's just my website, my, my dot com, Um That's it. I mean, you just, you'll be surprised. I have a, actually a step relation who who called me not long ago and went, I can't believe you wrote Batman, the animated, I can't believe it. I never knew it. It was like, I see you. You're, it was like, hello. <laughs> so even people who know me, but occasionally somebody will call and say, oh, I saw your name. I didn't realize you worked on that show. That's so, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's, it's fun to have fame that you can walk away with. And my family was very famous when I was little and we'd go out, you know, I'd go out with like when Ursula had just done James Bond, I go out with my father who was kind of looks like Jeff Meeks with silver hair, right? <laughs> and, 
and I'd be, be, you know, walking into a restaurant and a bunch of people would just kind of rush up to get to them and knock me over literally <laughs> as a little kid. So being famous can be icky, uh-huh. but having, having success as I do, and then you just, nobody knows who you are. It's just wonderful. Oh, like, I, I imagine you're so. You're innocuous and yet you're successful. Yeah. Right? <laughs> so. Well, we'd like to thank all of our listeners for stopping by the Romecast today. And Sean, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on. And we've, I mean, it's kind of a dream come true to be able to finally talk to the person who made Conquest. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. So, I just, I'm very touched. I'm not making it up. It's very touching to hear that, especially from experts like yourselves in this this area. It's just, it's really touching. Thank you. We, we love the series. We reference it all the time. And I think... Like other Mortal Kombat fans get mad at us sometimes because we're like, well, you know, in Conquest, they explored that plot point. <laughs> well, I bless all the fans because it's just they just gave us a great opportunity. It's just you can't like I said before, you can't do it without the fans. And anybody who thinks they can is an idiot. <laughs> well, thank you for, you know, for creating a great series and for respecting the franchise in, in the way that you did. Uh, like, uh, I mean, it, we need more writers like that these days, I think. Definitely. So it, it's yeah, it's great to revisit. <laughs> Thank you so much. So you can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Mortal Kombat meme realm. Special thanks to Uppercut Editions, who are creating the Mortal Kombat Compendium for the continued support. You can follow them at Encyclopedia MK on Twitter and the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia Project on Facebook. You can catch up on all episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify. Yeah.